Might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Classic Sabres Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my wonderful co-host. He's the last true survivor of the outpost. It's... It's Devor. Devor, tonight is going to be a lot of fun. We have a fantastic episode for all of you guys who are listening. So... With that in mind, we had to bring on a fantastic member of our team to help us out tonight. Straight from the galaxy far, farther away, it's Mark. Mark, how are you, sir? Well, I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, so I may sound raspy and I may cough a little bit, but I'm here and I'm ready to talk about Star Wars. Yes, tonight is going to be a good one because we are bringing back What If?, uh, which we haven't done for a while. Devor and I did it last time, and it was a ton of fun. And since Lucasfilm doesn't seem to want to uh, to put the show on Disney+, Plus, we're going to put it right here on your podcast feed. So uh, I guess we, you're welcome, I guess, is the best thing to say. Like, we, we serve and protect your podcast feed with great content. What else can we say? Um, but before we get into that, uh, Mark... You haven't been on the show for a while. You've obviously been doing great stuff with Forever Star Wars. What the heck have you been Star Warsing lately? I'm glad you asked because I got to do something that Star Wars fans uh, occasionally get to do. And if you've ever done it, it's a really exciting thing. Um, I showed Star Wars to someone who's never, ever seen it before. <gasps> Not only has he never seen it before, he knew nothing about the franchise and that's one of my best friends he's his name is Donish he's from Pakistan he's been here for three years and he had heard the name Star Wars but he did not know anything about Star Wars prior to May the 4th of this of 2023 and he and I went on May the 4th to see the original Star Wars playing at the theater so he got to see it uh, with a crowd. He he enjoyed it. And so when he had a positive reaction to it, my, my first thought, obviously, is now you have to watch all the others. Um, so I got together with him recently and showed him, uh, of course, Empire. And it was as much fun as I was hoping it would be. He was totally unprepared for where the story went. He didn't see any of the twists coming. You know, he, he had that reaction, like when the, the father moment is revealed, he looks over at me and I'm like, yep, <laughs> it's true. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's that been a lot of fun because I'm getting to go back and revisit those movies with a completely fresh perspective. I mean, not only somebody that's never seen the movies, but somebody who's not steeped in the iconography of it either. That's um, wild. Have you gotten to Return of the Jedi yet or have you just left off I, with... Empire. You know, I'm actually I'm actually considering doing what they call I think they call it the hatchet order, the machete or, order. That's the machete. Hatchet yeah, order. <laughs> I mean, sharp weapon of chop, choice. Chop. Yes, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> um, yes, yeah, so I'm considering doing that to go back and show 
Like what happened to Luke's father? Like how, how did he get this way? And then and then come back to to Jedi. So that's what I'm toying with right right this minute. So then, do you show Obi Wan Kenobi in between? Like, there's a lot of things to consider. Uh, yeah, I think I think we're just gonna have to stick to the movies <laughs> right now. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, are you gonna do? You're gonna so you're gonna do all of one, two, and three? You think? Uh, that's a good question. There's so um, many options. There's so many options. Yeah, I, I, I think so. He's he's he has he's responding well to them. I think he likes the storytelling. He likes the characters, and he likes really likes the humor. So I'm I'm very curious to see how he responds to Jar Jar. Oh, that's always that's always the trick there. Like, yeah, I, I think I think he's gonna dig Jar Jar actually. I mean, that is that that would definitely be a benefit. Because Jar Jar is one of those things that I'm a, a rare uh, kind of person where he's never bothered me. I feel like you're either like, ah, yeah, he, I'm all in on Jar Jar, or he kind of takes you out of the story and, and causes you to have a lack of investment in that particular, uh, particularly Phantom Menace. But you know, depending on who it is, I think it can hurt an investment in the prequels overall so yeah but he also like my friend doesn't bring all of the american pop culture baggage yeah to the prequels so that's mm-hmm. why i'm really eager to see how he responds to them dude you just said like doesn't bring all that american pop culture baggage and i was just like that is a dream come true can i have that because <laughs> <laughs> oh man how we like and we are victims of it too uh, or perpetrators of it, I guess would be the better term of, of this stuff gets talked about so much that we, yeah we forget that, you know, I heard somebody talk about it earlier. There's obviously this past week been a swell of toxicity, particularly around women in star Wars, which is just absolutely asinine and ridiculous because women have been a core element of star Wars and a core part of the fandom from the freaking beginning. So if you think anything other than that, you can just shut up and go hide under your rock. Um, but that's just, it, it's got me thinking about, you know, like how we talk about these stories and particularly these people who are, are loud don't talk about these stories. They talk around everything around these stories, but never actually talk about the movies or the books or the things that actually happen in Star Wars. It's all about how they are victimized and all of this other stuff. And it just, that baggage just kind of, you know, I think we let it get in our way a lot as we try to enjoy this thing that we love. And I think, Mark, you've recently, you know, more or less gotten off social media. I've limited my social media uh, usage a lot and really just focused on getting in the story. And it just makes it so much more enjoyable. And so the idea of like not having that baggage is, ooh, ooh, it's nice. (laughs) So DeVore, what about you? You got anything uh, you've recently been doing Star Warsing lately? Yeah, so I've embarked on one of my resolutions for this year it's a star wars related resolution which is to i want in 2024 to read all of the film novelizations that i've not yet read going into this year so going into 2024 i had only read the revenge of the sith and rise of skywalker novelizations 
And thus far, I just finished like a day or two ago, I finished the Phantom Menace novelization. And then largely because of what is or isn't available right now in my Libby app, I have started the solo novelization. So I'm kind of hopping around a little bit. Okay. How'd you feel about Phantom Menace? The Phantom Menace one I felt was fine. Yeah. It, it, it was fairly kind of straightforward in terms of hewing to the the actual movie. The solo one, I am right now, I was listening to it today, I got right up to the um, the stuff on Vandor, so with the train plot, like right about there is where I stopped. And I've been really enjoying it. Like it may turn out to be my favorite piece of like solo related media. So, man, solo came out so long ago. I'm not sure if you were even aware of us at that point, DeVore, but Lindsay and I talked about the solo novelization and we put forth an argument that it's better than the movie. Oh, man. I, I'm eager to see that. I'm really enjoying it. And, and I say that as someone who fi- who sort of has a kind of like a middle-of-the-road opinion on Solo. Like, I don't think it's bad, but it's also not like, my to- like in my top yeah. of Star Wars movie. It's somewhere in the middle. But I've been really enjoying the novelization. The one novelization I think is grossly underrated is uh, Attack of the Clones. That novel is so good, and people don't talk about it. Like, the prequel novelizations get, you know, everything revolves around Revenge of the Sith, which, in my opinion, that's one of the best pieces of writing ever. And if it was anything other than the novelization of a Star Wars movie, it would be an instant classic, in my opinion, um, that people would be talking about for, for generations. Like, it's that good. But... If you look at Attack of the Clones in and of its own merits, particularly what it adds with Shmi and Tatooine and stuff, so freaking good. It's so freaking good. Um, yeah, and, and even the Rogue One one is really good. I love. I've heard very good things Jin. about that one. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's exciting. That's exciting. Well, maybe we'll uh, do some special "Don't Burn the Sacred Text" episode where we talk about your your opinions and, and stuff of these novelizations as you go through. Oh, that'd be nice. That'd, that'd be, be a cool. lot of fun. Um, I have been Star Warsing the news, really, because I've been so busy. That's about all I've, I've uh, had time for Star Wars-wise. And uh, we got the announcement of a new movie, which is pretty interesting. Uh, I don't think it's really anything any of us expected with this Mandalorian and Grogu movie. I personally, I'm like, yay, Mandalorian and Grogu movie. Ahsoka season two is obviously my eyes went to that bottom paragraph there in the article, but, uh, just, I mean, we don't really have a lot. Um, we don't, you know, we talked kind of in our group chat about, is this going to be, you know, more or less season four and then season five comes out later on TV. Is this going to be a a shift for Mando and Grogu to the big screen permanently now? Um, there's, there's a lot of unknowns here, but, Mark, I'm going to let you take this first and, and just kind of tell us how are you feeling about this movie announcement and, you know, Mando and Grogu going to the big screen? Well, um, I welcome any Star Wars coming back to the big screen because I've been really missing that, um, having that theater experience um, and, and communal experience sitting down to watch a, a new Star Wars movie with other fans. Um, I think, though, 
I mean, this is a little bit out of left field. It's it's both not surprising and surprising at the same time, if that makes any sense. Um, in that from like a marketing standpoint, it makes perfect sense because The Mandalorian is probably Disney's greatest success as far as like to come out of its streaming service, like hands down. Um, I think you could argue it's its greatest success, full stop. Yeah, and it's and the the pop culture relevance uh, of of becoming a phenomenon that's just swept all of pop culture is is something that I don't think many of us saw coming to the degree that it did. But having said that, <clears throat> I wish that I could be a little less cynical about the timing of it and knowing what I know about how Disney is, is struggling with their movie slate. Like the recent films are not performing well and they've already made these announcements about these big star Wars movies that are in the works. And those movies that they announced, I got pretty excited for. Um, but this one feels more like a, I don't want to use the, you know, the really cynical view of like, it's just a quick, cash grab but it just does feel a little like you know let's scoot this one to the front because hey we were going to do a season four anyway let's just go ahead and make it a movie and put it in theaters and really we're not going to change anything it's going to get filmed exactly the same way and it probably would appear to be exactly the same and on a big screen as it would have been if it were streaming uh on the streaming service but you know at the end of the day, will I be excited? Will I be there opening night? Of course. Tavor, your thoughts? Yeah. So I, I was somewhat surprised by like almost having no reaction when it when the announcement came out. I was almost like, oh, and that was about it. Uh, and and there's a couple reasons for that. Now, surprisingly, one of those was not the usual cynicism around Star Wars movies because I think. A Mando and Grogu movie helmed by Favreau and Filoni is about as close to a sure bet as you can get. I think that's like, it's not a 100% done deal, but it's like a 99%. It's going to happen. So it wasn't actually that. I think it, it was sort of twofold. One of it was just my general feelings about the story directions in which The Mandalorian has gone. And particularly the way that season three ended did not leave me, unlike the ends of season one and two, did not leave me chomping at the bit for like what's going to happen next it didn't have that kind of ending as a lot of people have talked about it had almost this kind of series finale ending so there was a little bit of that and then i think the other thing was actually going right to mark's second point which is admittedly this is a weird thing to say about you know the walt disney corporation which is that like it felt very corporate you know i mean mark talked about you know he brought the good point about particularly you know 2023 being a difficult year for Disney and also just being a difficult year in general for franchise films really kind of struggled at the box office relative to like non-franchise or just kind of like, you know, one shot movies. So there's that. And then there's of course the, the reckoning that a lot of companies have had across the board in terms of the economics of streaming and the way that, you know, the bottom is kind of coming out in terms of that as a business model. So it's it's one of those situations where, like, I mean, all of these are business decisions, of course, you know, like we have to have that caveat. But much like Mark said, like, you can see the kind of calculus being made about, like, this being a thing that can, one, you know, 
get like it's gonna get made you know th- there's a very very high likelihood you're not gonna have some of the you know creative differences people dropping out issues and also there's the you know the imprimatur of, of mando and grogu so it's like it's gonna get people there you know it's it's an opportunity for them to kind of shore up some of the losses that potentially they're taking on the streaming side of things so yeah it was a combination of all those things kind of just left me like again much like mark said like will i be there opening night almost certainly you know but also like i i'm i wasn't gunning to see this movie like it's not like a can't wait situation there's a a bit in um I think it's young teen Titans or something like that where Robin goes, how are people always overwhelmed or underwhelmed? And nobody's ever just whelmed. <laughs> well, I have been whelmed. Um, yes. Yes. That's like, it. I get it. I get it. Like, yeah. am I freaking excited that there's a star Wars movie coming out? Hopefully, uh, in around a year or so. Yes, absolutely. But, yeah, it does. There's, there's definitely, like you said, there's that corporate calculus going on that is just, we, we know it's there, but we like to ignore it in, for the sake of the story, you know? Like, um, but I, I think the, the biggest issue is that we had all these other movies announced, and now this one is first. Yeah. I think that's what's causing the most consternation. Um, and... I don't know. I, I'm very optimistic about the movie in and of itself. I'm very optimistic about uh, what it could potentially lead to in terms of like more Mando and Grogu on screen, and then sticking with more, uh, more or less side characters. You know, your your Rebels crew. You know, even Ahsoka to an extent. She's becoming more and more a main character, but you know, most of her story happens off to the sides, separate from. Or, or alongside, rather, the, the Skywalker saga, whereas Mando and Grogu are their own thing. They're not really super connected with the Skywalker saga. Um, so there's that, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it, it is a very interesting decision. I'm not really going to say I'm super upset about it, but I, I, I'm more... My apprehension doesn't come from the movie itself. It comes from the burns from the past of like, Okay, are they putting this movie out because they don't have faith in the other movies? Are they putting this out because there have been production delays that they're trying to cover up and maybe, you know, they're casually pushing the Ray movie back because the story's not coming together yet and is that going to go and become a, you know, a thing or even with the Mangold movie, is that going to become a thing where it's like, man, remember when they were going to have James Mangold make a Star Wars movie? Like he and he just fell to the wayside like, you know, Taika Waititi seems to, and it's like always gonna happen, but never actually gonna happen. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure where I am with this whole situation. Uh, I know Zach and, and Lindsay and I are gonna talk about it some more on Sith Talk too, and, and like, I know they're gonna have very strong opinions. I just don't really know if I have very strong opinions on on the situation. So that's kind of where where we're at. I think. Right now, I, I just think it looks very messy. You know, like it, 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 it's like, did you wash your face before you went out? Because it, we can see, we can see the dirt. We can see the dirt, and it doesn't look good. And there's something well, and about that that bothers me. 
And it also um, casts a, an unusual new perspective on this idea like the ad like we'd been told that there was a Filoni movie in the works and that his movie was going to bring all of these you know plot threads that we've been seeing you know sprinkled here and there throughout Ahsoka and the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and that you know with the rise of Thrawn like everything would culminate in this big movie finale and yet now we're just going to get like what feels like a rather, you know, straightforward buddy adventure film between Grogu and Man- uh, and Din, and this happens before any of that other stuff, streaming stuff, movie happens. So it's that's to me what really is the smoking gun as far as it being a corporate decision. Um, I can just see like. I can see the discussions happening around a big table where they're all talking about how Grogu does so well in all the four quadrants. Mm-hmm. Like, like he hits really well with like the non-Star Wars fans and the grandmothers and the, you know, yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. like this is just like makes perfect sense. Let's make a Grogu movie, um, and it could be incredibly fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, like, yeah. like, like, like at the end of the day, as and I think we're all pretty much on the same page of being uh, pretty whelmed. Um, it could just end up being the best time ever and a great way to kick, kick, kick everything off because there's more of a known property here. Like, we, we know what we're getting. Whereas with a lot, of the, a lot of Star Wars movies, there's so much expectation about what's supposed to happen and what's, you know, how's this going to affect the story going forward. I think most everybody's a little bit more relaxed when it comes to The Mandalorian uh, in terms of just kind of knowing what we're going to get, because we've been getting like fairly consistent types of stories, even though they haven't all hit the same way. So I don't. Know. I think my my biggest question is like, what's the direction that we're going? Because it felt like when we got the announcement of the Ray movie and the Mangold movie and the Filoni movie, like, okay, we finally have some direction in where we're going. We've got the streaming side of things that's going to come together into this one big movie in a few years. We've got these different eras that we're very clearly setting up. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this happens. And it's like, like, why? And and are we, are we doing this to count as season four and then going back to TV and then just bouncing back and forth between mediums. Cause I don't think that is a very good look, uh, for, for the franchise, you know, like, uh, it's, it's not like a low key situation where he's going from the big screen to his own, you know, uh, streaming show, you know, and he's, he's more of a side character to his own thing. This is literally like your top property jumping back and forth between, mediums all possibly telling the same story and it just it just seems now, a little weird to me i will i will say that 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 it has happened before in back in the 90s um was it the 90s or was it 2000s by then i think it was the night still the 90s the x-files was like the number one tv yeah. show on television mm-hmm. and they like at the end i think it was the end of their fifth season or maybe it was their fourth season um they had like at the height of their success as a TV show, released 
the X-Files film, which was to be a bridge between the two seasons. And I think time has been probably more kind to that movie. I can't remember at the time whether it was considered a success or not, but they went on to do, you know, multiple seasons after that. So there is a model for it having been successful in a franchise, but I do agree that Star Wars is maybe not the same animal. And so it's, it's yeah. maybe a little more challenging to pull that off in a Star Wars franchise than it is in an X-Files franchise. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, there's obviously going to be a lot to discuss. I'm sure we're going to get, you know, the leaks and rumors and everything like that. Uh, and we're, we're going to have to ask ourselves, you know, like, what if this had gone in a different direction, which is kind of our, our topic for tonight. So I think uh, we'll go ahead and, and transition into that. And if you are new to the show or you just missed our, our last What If episode, first of all, welcome. We're glad to have you here. Second of all, here's how this thing's going to work. Uh, each of your brave and fearless hosts tonight uh, have prepared a what-if situation that the other hosts know nothing about. So one at a time, each of us is going to present our idea to the other two hosts, and then on the spot, on the fly, with no preparation, they have to come up with what would have happened in Star Wars. Some of it will uh, probably go a little bit off the rails, but that's part of the fun of this kind of episode. So, Mark, since you are our our guest uh tonight even though you are part of the family you're you coming on the classic sabers show for the first time in a while why don't you go first and you give us <laughs> your what if situation and this definitely has nothing to do with the fact that you texted me this morning <laughs> asking questions and i've been thinking about your what if all day it has nothing to do with that and has purely everything to do with the the chivalry and gentleman-ness that I am trying to show here, because I just made gentleman-ness a word. So go ahead, Mark. Well, first of all, both of those things could be true at the same time. Um, See, and this is why we're friends. <laughs> so if I understand it correctly, my job is to present the what-if scenario, and then the two of you will then start speculating as to how that would affect things that, going forward. So I don't necessarily is. have to make to make my argument for what would happen. No, see, that's the beauty okay. of it, is you don't have to do any of the work. Interesting, because I had some very, I have some very interesting and distinct Oh, you can, you can definitely about, share. Okay, good, You can good, definitely good. share, but I'm just, just, that's not the the rules of the game, but, you know, we, we make up the rules. This is Calvin Ball for, uh, for my Calvin and Hobbes fans out there. We just make up the rules as we go along. Okay. Um, so my what-if scenario... It'll be interesting just to hear how y'all move forward with it because I had a very specific thought in how it would affect the chain reaction of events um, and certain characters. Uh, but I'm interested to hear how, how you guys will approach it. So my what if scenario is what if in A New Hope when um, Han and Luke and Obi-Wan Obi-Wan, you know, they go to rescue Leia. They rescue Leia. Obi-Wan doesn't make it. They get back to Yavin. At that point, uh, Han Solo gets his money and he decides he's going to leave. But instead of coming back to the rebellion, he goes off, pays off Jabba and works for Jabba and never gets involved for the Rebel Alliance. That is a big one. Devor, you want to take that first, or you want me to do it? 
You start. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. You're so kind. Thank you, sir. <laughs> oh, man. Well, my first question would be what happens with Chewbacca? Because I think Chewbacca, you know, had the connection to to fighting this really this continued war, you know, being a part of uh, the Clone Wars and and that leads to the Galactic Civil War. So I I wonder first if Chewbacca would maybe say, this is the time where I have to leave you on. This is something I have to do. Um, So that that would be be question number one that I would have. I'm going to have to think about that as I come up with the rest of it. I, I mean... I think you see a, a rise in the galactic underworld at that point. Um, I'm thinking Maul's already dead at that point, so he's not really controlling the Shadow Collective. So Jabba's definitely off on his own. But I, I think you see a rise of that as an, as more of a, a threat um, that the Rebel Alliance has to consider. And that maybe there are some aspects of the Rebel Alliance that go a little Avar Chris in the High Republic and go, you know what? If you, you can't beat him, ask him to join you and, and team up with the Huts. Uh, that could be a factor. Um, but the biggest thing is, is thinking about that shot, you know, of, of Han shooting Vader's uh, TIE fighter and sending him spiraling off and allowing Luke to make that shot. Uh, question number one becomes, does he still make that shot? I'm going to say he does. I'm going to say that that is something that the Force willed um, in in being a critical element in eventually bringing the redemption of Anakin Skywalker, which I think does still happen. Um, I think it is a, a much harder row to sow, though. Uh, oh, look at that, like, rhyme pattern. Was, was, I got bars. Um <laughs> I think Master that is of alliteration. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that it's it's a much longer path. Uh, I, I think the Galactic Civil War, uh, or, or at least the original trilogy, lasts about five years. Um, I think we're looking at more of a, a an entrenched ten to fifteen year war, uh, where you have a fracturing of the the Rebel Alliance uh, because. The war is going on so long. I think you have more people join. I think you have more people fighting than you do in the original trilogy. But I do think you see more extremist groups like Saw Gerrera's start to rise up. And there has to be something for them to, to rally around. And so... I think then Luke gets put up on a mantle of something that they can rally around a lot more than he necessarily is um, in the original trilogy because you need something to to bring these different elements together. And I think the the team of Han, Luke, and Leia kind of did that in the original trilogy. They were, the, the, the strength of their bond was that thing that um, really brought them brought the rebel alliance and kept the rebel alliance's heart beating and so you're missing that and so i think you get luke put up on this mantle to an an insane degree and i think part of that is he comes to a conclusion that he has to to let people know that vader is his father 
and that this is not just something he's taking lightly um, because part of what makes Luke's character something that, that people uh, support um, and, and that people believe in is not even him being a Jedi, but it's his relationship with Han and Leia and, again, the bond that they have. And so when that dynamic changes, something else has to shift. And so I think that actually it goes different from what happens with Leia in Bloodline because he doesn't try to hide it. Um, and so he makes that decision. Uh, and, and so I think eventually you get to the same conclusion of uh, Vader's redemption. Um, but I think it, it's a much longer, bloodier, uh, less heroic way to get there. And so I think then, you, you know, your New Republic, the New Republic we've gotten in the TV shows thus far, uh, and even the little bit we got in the sequel trilogy was kind of messy. Um, didn't really have its legs underneath it. But I think you get kind of an amoral uh, New Republic because of they, the sacrifices they have to make of their morality to defeat the Empire. And there was always a line, in my opinion, created by Han, Luke, and Leia of like, this is our core, this is what we stand for, this is a line we're not willing to cross, or we, be, you know, like, Mon Mothma says it to Saw Gerrera and Rebels of like, when we cross that line, like, that we're no better than them. And I think, you know, Luke's character obviously is like the biggest uh, proponent of that idea, but I think it really is Han, Luke, and Leia together that bring that idea to fruition and especially with Han's character being somebody who was a rogue that then you know joins he was a smuggler he was a pirate whatever label you want to put on him he wasn't you know a a blonde-haired blue-eyed farm boy just you know coming to be a hero he he had dirt under his nails and so when you lose that you know you lose a, a very important element so all that's to say, like, I think eventually we get to the same destination, but I think we get there in a very different, bloodier way. Um, and then that leads to, you know, you've got this new republic that is not as good as the people thought it would be. Uh, and so I think you get a, a new war in a different direction of actually these people who thought they were supporting this new Republic wanting to bring it down. And so then you consider, okay, well, the first order is right there waiting for you that, you know, you got to imagine Palpatine with more time is working on more of that stuff. And, uh, so I think you, you still get kind of what you get in the sequel trilogy, but because of the, the way the war went down because you you lost that heart um, and because so much had to be sacrificed because you didn't have that strong core of Han, Luke, and Leia that you don't get the legend of Luke Skywalker having the impact that it does, the legend of Leia Organa and Han Solo. And so the kids of, of Rey's generation don't have those legends to be to believe in. And I think you just get this even more intense uh, cycle of of war and violence and and to be honest with you like I don't know where it ends you know do you, I don't know if you see the rise of a new generation of Jedi when you know the last standing Jedi had to become 
kind of this figurehead of what eventually turned out to be not what people expected it to be. So I think Han plays a huge role in that um, because not, not just because of himself and because of what he represents of even these guys that, you know, thought they were bad guys, as he likes to say, were actually the good guys, but because you lose that bond between the big three that to me, I mean, is obviously at the core of Star Wars as a story, but is at the core of why the Rebel Alliance is able to win and win the way that they do and have the positive impact that they do. So there it is. That's what I think happens if uh, Han Solo doesn't come back and take that shot. Devor, did I stall enough for you to, to come up with a conclusion? Because <laughs> maybe I, I went I went all the way through the sequels for you, buddy. Yeah, that's about all. I... You went way further than I thought that you were going to go. I have to give it to you. That was way more articulate than I think I will probably be. When it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Devor, what do you got? All right. Uh, so, yeah, my brain immediately went to the shot on the Death Star because that's really where he's pivotal in the climax of A New Hope. And I guess in that way you could go either way. I, I think for the sake of thinking through this scenario, let's, let's just assume that, like you said, Brandon, that the Force willed it and the shot goes in anyway, one way or another. They still make it. The Death Star still gets blown up. So all of that still happens. So then if we think the kind of next big critical spot where where Han comes into the story would be in an empire and specifically in the evacuation of Hoth with Leia. Now, him not being there to get Leia off of Hoth while the empire is coming in on the Falcon, let us assume then that, you know, she in the chaos of everything is, you know, split off from the main evacuation team or she decides to kind of hold down the fort and make sure everybody else gets out. And let's say then that Vader coming in is able to capture her, unlike when they escape with Han on the Falcon. So now you got to think about Luke. You know, Luke's gotten the the dictate from Obi-Wan to go to Dagobah and train with Yoda. But if in this early stage he gets word that Leia was taken by Vader and is being held captive, maybe he doesn't go to Dagobah immediately to start the training. So we have kind of an end of Empire situation, but even earlier. So, you know, in contrast to what happens in Empire where he's gotten a little bit of training in the ways of the Force from Yoda and then cuts it short and goes to Cloud City, maybe he then decides to pursue Vader with pretty much nothing, and because again, it's that it's that Luke Skywalker pull of my friends are in danger. I got to go help them, which is the original impetus for him to leave Dagobah in the first place. So now he goes after Vader as a kind of juvenile Jedi, right? With very little. I love that name for a Padawan. They're just juvenile, juvenile. Jedi. That sounds like some kind of sitcom, like in-universe or something. This was the working name for Young Jedi Adventure. <laughs> Juvenile Jedi. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Continue, please. That's, a, that's fine. So let's say he goes after Vader to try to rescue the princess. And then in the midst of that attempt, 
we have kind of an Empire-esque ending where there's a fight, he loses badly, and then Vader, in the midst of the fight, drops the bombshell, nonetheless, that he is his father. So now Luke, much like at the end of Empire, he would still be, you know, devastated and wasn't sure what to believe. But this time he, you know, he hasn't had the time on Dagobah. He hasn't been with Yoda. He hasn't been part of the ways of the Force. So maybe instead of, you know, what you get in Empire and kind of beginning of Jedi where he's sort of doubting, you know, Ben a little bit and why didn't you tell me anything, maybe this shakes his faith even you know you know in in the jedi even deeper right like he 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 doesn't have at least that kind of training that that notion of like that that promise that he makes to yoda of i will come back and i will finish what i started he hasn't even started at this outset so now he's even shattered more and he and he really doesn't feel like you know he can trust ben anymore or even his you know his guidance to go to yoda and so on the one hand you know he's got that and then you know what? You know what does he have left? But the connection with his father. You know he, he's he's got Leia there, but he doesn't really know about the connection that he has with Leia because he doesn't have. You know he won't eventually find out from Obi Wan and such. So so maybe that is something that that is an impetus that that draws Luke closer closer to Vader. You know maybe he's you know again he's like this is the the one connection that he has. Like he has some kind of family, and maybe much like in Jedi, he has a little bit of. Of, of an inkling of some faith that maybe he can, you know, he can turn him back and there's something in there. But of course he is, as we've established, juvenile Jedi in this what if scenario. So he doesn't have the Jedi skills, the training, the, you know, the the inner balance and stuff to be able to, you know, re, you know, resist the way that he does in Return of the Jedi or to fight some of the influence. So, you know, while he's with Vader, he... You know, he, he, he doesn't have the same kind of guard up against the temptations of the dark side. And maybe in, in the cloud of all this of discovering that Vader is his father and his faith, you know, in, in Ben and by extension the Jedi being broken and not really having much in the way of a Jedi education, like maybe that causes him to fall to the dark. And so now Vader... He, he's, he's got his son turned to the dark side now as a side. And now he senses at last the opportunity to take his own place at the top of the Empire. So now you kind of have like a um, like, like, like Palpatine in the Plagueis novel situation where he's like aping being the loyal apprentice. But then he's also got his little kind of apprentice on the side here that he's training with Luke. So he starts covertly training Luke as his Sith apprentice and eventually he gets him to a point where he and Luke can face down the Emperor and together they are strong enough to take to take down Palpatine and Vader is able to take the place as the new Galactic Emperor with his enforcer his son Luke Skywalker but of course as we know Palpatine's got his own contingency. He's got his own body on Exegol. So now you're going to have a war that breaks out between the Vader-Luke galactic empire that they are controlling. And then you're going to have the Sith Eternal coming out of Exegol. So you're now going to have the second Death Star against the Sith fleet and this kind of war against the bad guys. And then, you know, 
I, I mean, in terms of what how it impacts the wider galaxy, it doesn't much like you, Brandon. Seems like you're just going to get this kind of almost kind of constant conflagration that is going to be happening. So, so that's what I'm going with. If if Han wow. leaves. A Sith versus Sith war because of Han Solo. Yes. I like it. All I right. First, first of all, I, I'm deeply intimidated when it's going to come my turn to speculate because I, I'm not speculating to this level of this is like really, really in-depth stuff. Like both of you have provided like really deep dives into it. That's I, a great I, way of saying both of you have gone extremely off the rails with this thing. But Mark, well, you got to listen to our first episode from last year. I think we went from we, we went from Jango Fett live to like Boba becomes the ruler of Mandalore and fights oh, with yeah. Luke. Like it went crazy. I mean, when you when you hear my like where my mind went, it's so less creative and so <laughs> so much more straightforward. Um, so first of all, I very much like Devorah. Very much like your speculation of Luke going to face Vader earlier, even earlier mm-hmm. than he should have, and how that would maybe play out differently. Um, and Brandon, I really liked your very first thing you went to was like, how does this affect Chewie? Like, I have mad respect for the fact that you instantly thought of Chewie. I don't think I I ever resolved that issue, though. (laughs) No, I don't think you did. (laughs) I didn't even think of Chewie first, so that's that says... I don't know that says Well, neither did most of the Rebel Alliance. That's why he didn't get a medal. (laughs) (laughs) But when I was thinking of this in terms of, like, like, where do you go from here? Like, my mind went to, first of all, so... The way I see Han in in these stories is even though he's not a Jedi, even though he's not, you know, he doesn't have the chosen one blood that Leia and Luke have, he's still pivotal, and he's pivotal because the Force uses him. And when I think about if Han isn't there at those key moments, obviously the Death Star is the big one, but we also forget that he saves Luke on Hoth, and so that's two that Luke owed him. Um, when you remove him from those scenarios, I still see a lot of the same things playing out more or less because in the same way that the force used Han as a pivotal component in all those situations, I feel like the force would have found somebody else to use in a similar way. The the imagery that I had in my head was Luke stumbles out of the Wampa cave and collapses in the snow um, he's lost, and he sees he sees Ben, and Ben sends his message: "You have to go to Dagobah, train with Yoda." And then, as as Ben's ghost is fading away, the Tauntaun comes into view, and it's Leia riding the Tauntaun. Because of course, Leia would go out looking for Luke. Like that's obviously what she would have done. Um, so that's like, and that's kind of where my mind went. Also thinking in terms of Lando, probably would have stepped up and become more of the Han role within the Alliance, the Rebel Alliance. Um, wait, 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 wait. But how does Lando even get involved? Han's the one that knows Lando. Well, there was that, there was that little matter at the Battle of Teneb. Um, but, but the Battle so, of so Teneb I, happens after. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Okay. Lando's not getting involved, man. Well, okay. The Force works in mysterious ways, Brandon. 
I'm just saying. We could still find a way to get him involved. But but the point of all that is that I was thinking in terms of how it affected the story that we saw and like how would those events play out differently or would they play out the same ways? And that's that's why I like the the chewy suggestion because to me, like as soon as you said that, Brandon, my thought was I think Han is still the person he is, even though he may choose not to come back and fight with the, the Rebel Alliance. And I saw it as being maybe Han then goes and helps Chewie to liberate the Wookiees. Like that mm. may be what he does. He mm. goes back to Kashyyyk. Um, so yeah, that's I, I start thinking in terms of like how could things play out in a similar way because the force is still involved here and the force still has a plan and it may not happen exactly the way that we would envision it, but it's going to eventually get to the same place. It's just the, the interesting part of this little thought experiment to me is to imagine how many, even though it may get to the same place, how many detours does it take? Like how many different little twists do we get along the way? Yeah. And I think that's kind of where I was getting at with like, it takes a lot longer to get where it goes, you know, because you, and, and I think it's interesting that DeVore went like bad happens a lot quicker, which I think is also like extremely valid that like Luke could go to the dark side much more rapidly than we see, you know, him struggling in return of the Jedi. Uh, but also you could have it go the direction where everything takes a long time because you you don't have those critical uh dominoes in place so yeah it's a good good pull good pull all right uh so javori you want to you want to go ahead and do yours or do you want me to do mine i can do mine all right go for it so as i just mentioned i recently finished reading the novelization for the phantom menace and so my brain prequel stuff let's go My brain being in that in that period, in that movie in particular, I decided to pull something from there and reimagine a, a key moment in that movie happening differently. So I will ask you two gentlemen, what if Anakin loses the pod race? <laughs> Mark, you want to take it? Oh, me to no, go? you're going to make me. No. no, I can go. Let me go first. Yeah, okay. please go. Okay. Um, I feel like you got this. You have way more faith in me than you should. (laughs) So, well, I mean, I think Qui-Gon finds another way to, to save Anakin. Um, I, especially when you consider the, the events of the book master and apprentice, which for those of you who um, are not aware of it, there's, Qui-Gon basically discovers uh, he's on this mission to um, help a a queen sign, you know, her planet into like a republic, essentially. Um, and then they find out that this corporation that's involved in it has essentially slavery going on. And, and he wants to battle, you know, against the slavery. He wants to stand up against it. He believes that's what the Jedi should do. And Yoda's like nah, man, we've got a mission, just ignore the slaves, essentially. So he has extra motivation when he goes to Tatooine, and he sees not only slaves, but who he believes is the chosen one as a slave. So I don't think that there is uh, any way Qui-Gon is leaving without finding a way 
to to get Anakin off that planet. So then you ask yourself, okay, well, how does he do that? Well, I think you go to what Kleeg did with me, and he finds a way to to buy Anakin. Uh, so how does he buy Anakin? Well, I think you're costing yourself the ship. I think the ship is gone. I think um, Qui-Gon's faith in the Force uh, was so extremely strong that I think in in times that we didn't get to see of him or we haven't seen of him yet, if times got desperate, I, I do see a way, a version where Qui-Gon makes bad choices. Like most of the choices we see him make are good. And I think that most of them are good, but I do think his, and and there's an argument to be made that even asking Obi-Wan to train Anakin was a a bad decision in his part. So I I don't think Qui-Gon is necessarily because nobody is completely flawless. So I can see him making the mistake of, of not consulting with the Jedi, not considering the bigger galactic picture um, and thinking that, that Anakin is it. Anakin is, is him and he, and he has to do something about it. So I think he sells the ship. I think he sells everything on the ship. I think he strands um, the, the queen and everybody on Tatooine for a little while. I'm not talking years. I'm not talking even months. I think he finds a, a means to he, he gets Anakin uh, and he finds a a uh, a traitor or a smuggler or some kind of Denzian uh, of Tatooine for there are many uh, to to take them to Coruscant. But what's happened on Coruscant in the meantime? I think you've sown even more dissension if you're Palpatine. I think you've taken advantage of the the empathy that's going to be existing for you, and and you don't have the queen coming and making this uh, brash movement for a new chancellor, right? Which she needed to happen, and and I think eventually does happen. But in the meantime, you're riling people up. You're you're really playing to that sympathy, and so I think that you get a a Palpatine that is elected much uh, more strongly uh, than even we see him in, or we assume he is in The Phantom Menace, or at least I do. Uh, and so when he starts to take more and more power, it's already ingrained in the people. There's less resistance to it. Um, and so... He's, he's got kind of more people on his side, more people in his pocket, more people um, that he has maybe developed uh, dirt on and others that he's developed relationships with that he gets to, to manipulate more and more. So I think you see, as the Clone War goes on, you see uh, less people than even we see now willing to stand up to him. And so his power is just stronger and stronger and that would lead to the empire becoming stronger and stronger, becoming harsher and harsher. Like if you, if you give a demon his due, he's, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna show up, he's gonna do what a demon does. And, uh, that is destroy. And so I think you're fighting not only, not necessarily a much stronger galactic empire, but a much harsher galactic empire. Uh, I think the galactic empire that we have now, one was was definitely cruel especially the higher up you went 
but there was a lot of um, complacency and numbers that really made it strong. And I think you shift to a different direction because, again, Palpatine has had that time that Qui-Gon kept everybody on Tatooine to build up more of a following. And so when it's that time, the hammer is able to come down even stronger. And, and that makes the, the fight for the Rebel Alliance a lot harder. Uh, but beyond that, I don't really think... I don't think it shifts anything that happens uh, really post Revenge of the Sith um, or, or, excuse me, post A New Hope. I think you're just, again, fighting a crueler version. Um, if, if we're talking about like this as a movie, I think we get more of a dark movie where you see a lot more violence uh, and it's a lot less fairy tale that a lot less fairy tale like we envision it and a lot more Grimm's fairy tale um kind of feel but yeah i mean that would i think it would have one of those butterfly effects of of just that extra time again kind of going with what mark uh said with the other one it just kind of shifts the position of things and the time that it happens in but beyond that i don't know how much else it really changes so that's mine mark what about you what happens if anakin does not win the pod race I'm going to be so bad at this. <laughs> nah, you got this. Oh, uh, there's no way to be good at it. So I just, <laughs> I don't know. Y'all, y'all are both. I just pulled at, all at of it. that out of my ass. Like, just... <laughs> Oh my God. So the first thought I had was if Anakin doesn't win the race, then who does? Well, there's only one person who possibly could it be oh i didn't even think about that so sabalba wins the race and qui-gon then thinks okay i had this all wrong like i thought it was this kid (laughs) but obviously sabalba's the chosen one so you know mark i take back what i said you're bad at this (laughs) (laughs) are you kidding this is great I, this is that I'm, I'm me right thought, now would be is that Woody meme like hold on let him cook you know? <laughs> and you guys thought that Boba Fett as the king of Mandalore was crazy here we go let's go Mark go off babe go off so so poor little Anakin he's he's lost the race and Qui Gon is now thinking mm, I got to go with this other chosen one because obviously I was I judged this situation very poorly. And so poor Anakin and Shmi are sort of left there as like, well, you know, well, what do we do now? It's like Qui-Gon's like, not my problem. <laughs> so <laughs> so they get left on Tatooine. Sebulba gets taken back to the Jedi Order and presented before the council. And I mean, obviously, they're all like, Qui-Gon, what were you thinking? Like, what is this about? And he's like, but you weren't there. You didn't see it. You should have. It, it was it was the force was working. So Bulba, of course, is snickering to himself because he's like, it's not the force. It's like I sabotaged the kids pod racer. Like I did that. Like I did that, not the force. But whatever. I'm going to let them think whatever they want to think. <laughs> and so Sebulba of him. I Look. So I see things playing out very similarly to when Anakin was made a Jedi, was a, was a Padawan. Only the fall of the Jedi Order happens a lot faster because Sebulba is going to bring things down a whole lot quicker. He's, I mean, he's going to have his fingers in everything. Like anything that goes wrong in the I Jedi Order. I think you Order, mean his toes. W- yes. Well, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, 
his finger toes um, in everything. So, but all joking aside, um, even though Anakin may lose the race, Anakin is still, he's still the chosen one. I mean, I, I think that it's still possible for Anakin to still be the chosen one, even if he doesn't win that race. Uh, but I think he ends up staying on Tatooine longer and he stays with his mother longer. And I would be interested to see how that would affect his relationship with her. And as he gets older and more impulsive, like what does Anakin as a slave on Tatooine who has force abilities, what does that look like? I, I end up thinking that it's going to, that he, he goes even darker a lot faster. Like that's, to me, that's what Qui-Gon rescued him from, was was going down that path, the dark path, too quickly. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of where my mind goes as far as, like, how Anakin is affected by, by, that, by that loss. Um, less so about Qui-Gon, because I just can't get the idea of Qui-Gon standing in front of the council with Sebulba. <laughs> I can't get that out of my head now, so now I've like, I derailed myself on, well, on this. I I think uh, there's, there's a couple ways that it could go if Anakin stays on Tatooine longer. My mind immediately when you said that goes to, well, Palpatine is going to find him. And so, you know, Palpatine finds a way to exploit that situation. And I think, yeah, it does get him to turn to the dark side faster because what was the, what was the thing that was stopping Anakin from turning to the dark side? It was Obi-Wan. It was Ahsoka. It was Padme. It was the people that he cared about. And it was the loss of those people that sent him down that path. Right. But he had as a Jedi been told to keep some separation from that attachment as a child slave growing up on Tatooine, let's say he's, you know, he's, he's 14, he's 15, he's 16, when Palpatine comes and is like, you know, I can show you a different way. I can show you how to have the power to save your mother because guess who's actually manipulating her midichlorians and causing her to slowly wither away? Palpatine. And so he kind of plays Anakin and you get an Anakin that turns to the dark side much faster, but without the Luke and Leia's in place because he never married Padme. And but then so, he takes the place essentially of Dooku because Dooku became, you know, Palpatine's um, apprentice yeah. as well. So, but then what does that do? What, where does Dooku go? Like, does Dooku then become... I think Dooku becomes a part of the picture because Palpatine needed somebody after the loss of Maul. I don't think Dooku was the plan from the beginning, so I think he just is a more or less a non-factor um, because I don't think he would have started the Separatist Coalition or Confederacy or any of that on his own. Like I think all of that happened because Palpatine put him in the position to do it. Um, like he and Palpatine, yeah, Palpatine taken on Anakin as as apprentice much earlier in his life would have, I think, implied that maybe Anakin was the one that would take out Maul instead of Obi Wan. Could be, yeah, it absolutely could be, and and it could it could be a situation where Palpatine pits them against each other somehow. But like, 
I mean, yeah, because you don't really have a reason for for Maul and uh, Obi Wan. Well, I guess you do have a reason for Maul and Obi Wan to be fighting on um, on Naboo because you still have that whole situation, which I assume that Palpatine didn't necessarily know, like that Anakin was going to be a part of that. You he. he kind of looks like you know when he says we're gonna watch your career with great interest like i this is a roll of the dice i did not expect but i'm gonna take it and i'm gonna you know go with it because that's what he does but um and and maybe you know you have him breaking the rule of two just straight up like the sith break the rule of two all the time but maybe he's just like forget it i'm done with it I got both of them. Like, I'm going to use... They both have different strengths, and I'm going to use both of them. Um, It's definitely... I think either way you go, you get a a larger rise of darkness, a faster rise of darkness, at least for a little while. So, oh, man. Okay, well, now I feel like mine uh, is not good enough. It's not up to snuff. But I wanted to throw you guys a complete curveball that nobody would expect me to uh to present so my what if is what if the events at the end of rebels did not happen and thrawn did not get sent to a galaxy far farther away but was in fact an element a key element in the galactic civil war how would that affect things what if thrawn was there in the galactic civil war Oh man! Hmm. Who's taking it first? Come on, guys! Somebody got to step up. Well, you'd have to choose one of one of. I'm not going to say he's my least favorite character, but he's probably a character that I know the least about. That's the thing. Oh, makes it hard. Well, the thing is, the thing about Thrawn is he's. He's calculating when he needs to be calculating, but I n- I'm never 100% sold on him being this master strategist. So the idea, I mean, obviously the thing, the go-to answer would be that Thrawn would have been a mastermind in, in keeping the Empire from losing so many of the battles that they lost. Like they wouldn't have lost the Death Star under, you know, with Thrawn's involvement. Um... But, but the way that Thrawn is written is very different than the Thrawn that we saw in Rebels. So are we talking the Thrawn of Rebels, or are we talking about the Thrawn, like Timothy Zahn's Thrawn? We're talking the Thrawn on screen. I think the the Rebels okay. and Ahsoka Thrawn more than uh, anything else is what I was thinking that's, of. Yeah, that's a different Thrawn, because the Thrawn of the books tends to be more nuanced. And the more the most interesting aspect of Thrawn that I I always gravitated towards was the fact that you know he's a Chiss he's an alien in the Empire the Empire does not have a lot of you know aliens that rise to the level that he does and that it's and it's that sort of prejudice that exists within the Empire that I think is more what makes him a more complex character because he's obviously He's obviously aligned with the Empire because it suits his needs and how the Empire can help him. Um, but I don't see that being 
I don't see him being a true believer in the same way that, say, um, Tarkin is. So that's kind of where I, I, I struggle with it because I don't necessarily see Thrawn becoming Tarkin in that sense. Uh, I just don't think that Tarkin is, I don't think that Thrawn is that sold on what the Empire stands for. Um, I do think that the Rebel Alliance is going to have a whole lot more trouble winning the, the victories that they win with Thrawn being, uh, having more of a presence. Um, but, you know, oh, I, like I said, I'm bad at this. I just I can't, I can't speculate so much about a character that I just don't know that much about. I don't know the inner workings of Thrawn well enough to imagine exactly what he would do, say, in the events of Rogue One, or like how that would have been affected. Um, I don't know. But I think I, I, you're on to something that, like, if, if the Rebel Alliance loses more battles, or at least is more hard fought to win them, like you extend the war out in that way, you know, like you, it's the victories that bring more people in, you know, like it's, it's the victories that keep people going. If they're constantly losing, I mean, you have a real question about how long the war takes. And I think a, the longer the war, the better it is for the empire, just based on numbers, right? Yeah, and that's what makes this challenging because the way that it plays out in Rebels is that it is a victory that ends up changing the the course of the tide. Um, You know, Thrawn has to be taken by surprise by something he never saw coming, and he sees everything coming. So if you have a character that can generally see everything coming and anticipate and plan and strategize around it, um, it makes speculating about how the character would have impacted various events or, or certain character arcs would have played out differently when Thrawn is ultimately the one who knows what's going on and always will. Do, do you see my point? Like it's yeah. more difficult to speculate around that kind of uh, insight that he has. Well, and it's like, uh, like yes, he... He's always known, but until he doesn't know, right? Like, when it, he knows everything until it comes to Ezra's sacrifice, until it comes to these Jedi and the Force. And so, like, what happens when he has to face Luke Skywalker, who is yeah, that's the epitome yeah. of a Jedi? It's like, what does that confrontation look like? Because Thrawn discredits the Force and... I think we being people who know the story so well and know the character so well kind of feel like we can predict where Luke is going to go with things, you know? Um, But in universe is Thrawn going to be able to predict where Luke would go with things because Luke is going to do things like a Jedi, which to us makes sense, but to Thrawn doesn't necessarily make sense. At least not not until you know what he learns from from Ezra and the result that we get to see in the Ahsoka series of him starting to utilize that force and mysticism to his advantage if he doesn't have that i think he continues to discredit 
the role the force plays in things right. and i think palpatine lets him do that so that he can continue to manipulate him you know and and don't show all of your cards because the only the only strategist that's on par with with thrawn based on what we have so far or at least the way the characters are presented is palpatine it's palpatine so mm-hmm. yeah yeah, well, and and you you bring up a good point. The reason why Thrawn lost at the end of Rebels is that he underestimated the Force, or he or he didn't take it seriously. And if he doesn't lose at the end of Rebels, it's because he does take it seriously. And so, therefore, like what we saw in Ahsoka with him turning to, you know, people who are Force sensitive and using that to his advantage, I see that happening a lot sooner. And if I think that then raises the question of does he ultimately, does he recognize Palpatine as a force user? Does he see that a lot faster Mm. and then sees a way to maybe use Luke and Luke's relationship with his father to Thrawn's advantage to then like, because if, if Vader got his way and Luke turned to the dark side and they teamed up against Palpatine, that'd be one thing. But if, Thrawn realizes that he has a way to take out Palpatine by using this family conflict and distracting Palpatine. I could see that playing out as well of like Thrawn stoking the fires of like the conflict between the father, the son and Palpatine and knowing the rule of two because Thrawn would have made himself aware of how the Sith operate. So he would be aware of the rule of two and how they manipulate one another. And so I would see that as being a situation where he would absolutely be involved in that somehow where he'd be sort of you know poking the bear so to speak to yeah. to you know plant seeds of of distrust amongst them because he knows that sith are inherently distrustful of, of one another anyway and i wonder if you get a uh, shadows of the empire kind of thing where you've got palpatine and then you've got vader and taking the place of shizor is is thrawn and it's like he's playing them against each other and both of them are trying to use the other person against palpatine and palpatine like you get that uh dark side love triangle kind of situation Uh. where everybody's playing everybody else it could be like really interesting and and i hadn't considered what you talked about mark of uh you know him starting to believe in the force because uh of you know um, what happens in Rebels and stuff like that and how that could affect things. So, all right, Devor, what do you think? All right, so I got kind of two things happening on parallel tracks that I'm thinking of, and then presumably at some point they kind of intersect with one another. So Thrawn doesn't end up in Peridia. He stays in, you know, the galaxy far, far away. And let's... Just assume for, for the sake of this what if that a lot of the other things kind of still happen the same way, which is that the Rogue One stuff and the Death Star plans and the Battle of Yavin and all that. And then, you know, Death Star goes boom. Tarkin is taken off the board. So now there's a bit of a power vacuum, you know, along the top of the, the Empire. And Thrawn, what he decides to do is to one kind of fill that space. He sort of becomes the new Tarkin there. And he also uses the destruction of the Death Star to bolster his case to Palpatine for funding the TIE Defender program. So now you don't get a second Death Star. 
Now he's able to use it and say, aha, my pet project was the way to go this whole time. We just saw how the Death Star failed because it had this teeny little flaw that someone put in there. Let's invest in these special TIE fighters. So now the Empire starts, and Palpatine agrees with him, starts cranking out these TIE fighters en masse, and you never get the second Death Star. Instead, you get this kind of, the, the legion of these TIE defenders that are trying to enforce the Empire's control. And maybe as a result of that, the Empire's grip on the galaxy kind of tightens even more than, you know, than we see it in Empire and Jedi and stuff. At the same time, what's the parallel development? Well, if Thrawn does not leave the galaxy far, far away, neither does Ezra. So he's around. So now he recognizes, and also, you know, by extension, the rest of the Ghost crew, the threat of Thrawn and what they need to do. So, so Ezra is realizing that now they need to kind of shore up you know, and, and kind of bolster the alliance to fight against the Empire. So he goes out and finds Ahsoka. Ahsoka, you know, made the promise to go find Ezra. So he's able to link up with her much earlier than, you know, that when we get in, you know, in the current timeline. And so maybe then the training of Sabine maybe starts a little bit earlier because you got Ezra there and you got Ahsoka happening there. And then as you get, you know, the, the Rogue One stuff and the Death Star, you still have them going after Obi-Wan Kenobi, so you still have the stuff that happens on Tatooine, Obi-Wan and Luke, only now you've already got this kind of proto-Jedi contingent that, that's there with Sabine, Ezra, and Ahsoka around. So you've got them, and now you've got, you know, Obi-Wan and Luke, and maybe, you know, if we, again, assuming everything happens the same, Obi-Wan, you know, dies on, on the Death Star. But then you've got all of them, and then with Obi-Wan's guidance, they get to Yoda on Dagobah. And so now they kind of start up a sort of proto-New Jedi order, because now you've got like four of them or five of them. I've lost count now. So, so you've got this proto-Jedi order, and you've got the TIE Defenders now. So you've got a stronger empire, but maybe at the same time, you've got this kind of ascendant Jedi order, and that is starting to give some faith both to the Alliance and to, let's say, maybe a lot of uh, planets and folks and groups that maybe have been kind of fence-sitters and have been unsure and have been a little bit weary of the Empire. Maybe that causes them to kind of rally around because they're now seeing that the Jedi are here, you know, leading this rebel alliance. So now you've got this kind of you know, stronger empire, but you've got maybe a little bit of a stronger alliance with this new, you know, emerging Jedi order there. And then they, you know, th that kind of becomes the big kind of crescendo conflict of the the original trilogy period. And then, I mean, you can kind of think about like who wins or who loses, but that's kind of how I see that going. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that is spot on. I hadn't considered the the tie defender situation, but or the fact that Ezra survives. Like there's a lot of elements that go into uh what happens there on Lothal at the end of Rebels. And it's really interesting to think about how these little threads, you know, like we we know these stories so well, you know, especially the you know, the three of us on anybody listening to a Star Wars podcast like ours has watched and watched and rewatched these things. And so it's fun to think of it from a different angle. And, and all of these situations were really, really interesting. And, and I like, 
it was kind of fun that we got to, you know, talk about all the different eras of Star Wars through this. Uh, was was really interesting and compelling. So we'll definitely be doing a what if episode again. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts on on what would happen if these different situations happen, or give us your own what ifs you want us to talk about on a future episode because. That would be a lot of fun. We'd love to have y'all's participation in in the show. And if you want to to do that, of course, you can uh, get us over on our Facebook group that is growing, growing, growing. Star Wars Classic Savers. Got some great people over there having some really fun conversations. We're posting content over there uh, just about every day. P- questions for people to talk about, posting videos, different things like that. So uh, make sure you're part of that. You can also find us on X slash Twitter slash whatever the hell it gets called next. Um, maybe that's what it's going to be called. It's going to be called next next. Um, and, and we're over there. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. Everywhere at Clashing Sabers. So please like share your ideas with us, and uh, and and we'd love to talk about it. Mark, uh, I know you're not really on on social anymore, but tell people about what you're doing with Forever Star Wars and anything else you uh, want to plug. Yeah, since I am not really on socials, um, probably the best way to get in touch with me would be through the Clashing Savers uh, email. Probably that'd be the best way. Um, As far as like Forever Star Wars, I kind of have this idea. And I guess if I just if I put it out there, I kind of am committing to doing it. But one of the most challenging topics that I think I could ever do would be one that I have very, very mixed feelings on. So I typically stay away from those ideas, but it just certainly came to, for some reason it came to me, I should do an Ewok episode. (gasps) Yes. Yes. Do it. Like, like just dive into like my feelings about the Ewoks and how they've changed and I've kind of, kind of gone back and forth and, and how they, they're all, they're almost their own little self-contained universe within a universe. Man, there's a lot of good stuff there. Oh, you actually got some current events where you could plug right into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, because it was uh, it, w- it was circulating today, I think from an interview, which is uh, Lily Gladstone, the the native actress from Killers of the Flower Moon, was talking about how she loves Ewoks because they're so, they're kind of you know they're the stand-in for an indigenous population fighting against an empire. So you got your avenue right there to talk about stuff. It Very is cool. timely. Very cool. Very timely. Uh, DeVore, tell them about what you've got going on. All right. Well, if you want to follow me on the socials, you could follow me on, on X at a larger view pod. You can also listen to me over on Space Swifties, a Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast that I host with my wife, the one and only Meg Dowell. And uh, if you aren't already, make sure you're over on our Patreon supporting our nonprofit efforts to put Star Wars books into classrooms across the country. And even more importantly, if you're a teacher or you know a teacher, I got books. We got books. We got books to share. You want a ridiculous amount of Star Wars books that your kids are going to be excited to read? Go over to our our website, ClassroomSabers.net. Nominate yourself. Nominate somebody else. Uh, let's, Let's spread the love and good you know, spirits that we had on this episode. Let's get future generations asking, what if Batch 8 was a part of the sequel trilogy? 
Hi-ho. Hi-ho. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?